everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. Saturday, Atlanta United will wrap up its MLS regular season with a match at Cincinnati. The Supporter Shield winners, the number one seed in the East, and the measuring stick by which Atlanta United will try to show that it can be a legitimate threat to win the East and perhaps win its second MLS Cup after taking its first in 2018. We're going to preview that game. And on the rest of the show, you're going to hear from Gonzalo Pineda, Tristan Mimba, Mateus Huzetu, Jay Fortune. We're going to have special guest Jason Longshore coming on to talk about a podcast that he's doing with Sandy of Atlanta United about the history of soccer in the state. Although, as you'll hear, they miss perhaps the most important moment in the history of the sport. That'll be the first question I asked Jason. We didn't get any voicemails this week, so shame on everybody. But we did get a few questions for the mailbag, and I'm going to get into those too. If this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution is taking Georgia political coverage to the next level. Now, Georgia's smartest political team is adding Hall of Fame political broadcaster Bill Nygut. I am beyond thrilled to be joining the remarkable political team at the AJC. And with the year that we have unfolding in politics, it's going to be an exciting ride. Read Bill Nygut's expert insight on AJC.com and listen to the Politically Georgia podcast with me, Greg Bluestein, And me, Patricia Murphy. And me, Tia Mitchell. Hear new episodes every weekday. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. So let's go into a few numbers really quick about Saturday's match. Again, Atlanta United is in sixth place in the East. It is going to find out its playoff opponent as soon as Saturday's matches are done. All the matches in the Eastern Conference are going to kick off around 6.07. The matches in the Western Conference, which for this exercise are uh, not really relevant, will kick off at 9.07. Atlanta United will face in the playoffs either Orlando, Philadelphia, Columbus, or it's a long shot, but maybe New England. But focusing on Saturday's games really quick, Cincinnati is managed by Pat Noonan at home. They are 13-2-1 with Atlanta United being 3-6-7 on the road. Cincinnati has scored 55 goals and allowed 37. It is right on mark with its expected goals, within like one or two for each. Atlanta United had scored 64 goals and allowed 51, but its numbers are very much skewed in both directions. Its expected goals is 47, so it scored 17 more goals than the models say it should, but its expected goals allowed is 43.6, so it's allowed more than seven goals more than it should. Cincinnati, of course, 
is powered by the likely MVP winner, Luciano Acosta, with 60 goals and 13 assists. And one of those goals was a fantastic effort in Cincinnati's 2-1 win at Atlanta United earlier this season. Alvaro Barrial with five goals and eight assists. Former Atlanta United player Brandon Vasquez with eight goals and four assists. And Aaron Bupinza with five goals. Atlanta United is led by Tiago Almada. 11 goals, 17 assists. Yorgo Shakamakis, uh, 15 goals and two assists. Brooks Lennon, four goals and 10 assists. Caleb Wiley, four goals and four assists. Saba Lopchenitze, three goals and three assists. It should be a fun Saturday. It's going to be a you know decision day is what they like to uh, call it. Uh, it's a, a holdover from a lot of other leagues that on the last day they will play all their matches at the same time so that everyone has to play as if they don't know what is going on. For Atlanta United, it doesn't really matter what happens is going on in the other matches. The seeding is going to be the seeding, so they don't really have to clock watch or anything like that. But... Here's Gonzalo Pineda talking about how the team is going to approach this match against Cincinnati. Yeah, we're working on us more than are we facing Cincinnati or not, or other teams may watch. I mean, we have played 33 games. Now it's going to be the, the 34th. What surprises we can do? Yes, a couple set pieces, a couple maybe tactical adjustments, minimal, because now for me it's about continuity and momentum and, and getting the players ready, mentally ready, sharp. Uh, they have to feel how good the team looks when we play good. They have to feel that. They have to see that we have the connections on the left. Shande, Caleb, Thiago, we look very, very good when we have the connections on the right side whether it's uh, Edwin or Isaba Brooks like we look very good GG is a fantastic finisher the double pivot Rosetto Trista looks very good the back line looks more solid every time so uh, I, I think uh, they have to perceive that and now try to go with some momentum continuity more games more games more preparations and taking this this one very seriously because it can be the last preparation before playoffs we know the first game will be away in playoffs so we can take this one as the best preseason we can have against the best team in the league uh, away and and then if we can win away against Cincinnati I think we can beat anyone in playoffs. So that's that's the mentality of how we're trying to approach this game. And here's Pineda talking about how the team is going to prepare for facing majority of road games in the playoffs. It would take some weird, weird things to happen for Atlanta United to get more than one home match. The first round is best of three. It is higher seed hosting the first, lower seed hosting the second, and if necessary, higher seed again hosting the third. Yes, we already talked about that, actually. Probably you're scouting my, my sessions with them because, because we're talking that in, in the film, how we are approaching mentally these type of games. They know the, the sequence we're going to have in the first phase of playoffs, in the quarterfinals, we're going to have away, home. But if we do a good job, it can, it can stop there, right? And that's what I told them. If we make a statement now, we beat Cincinnati, which is a big, big task, we send them a statement that... Whoever we face in the next stage, and we beat them, then they have to come to the bench. And now it's that double double sword. How you how you say that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's and it is like it can be an advantage for us if we win the first one. Then we come here and we secure the spot, winning at home. So it can be one of those that we can play mentally with that situation because it's not advantage, disadvantage. It's just a situation. We can make it two games only. We don't have to make it three games two away, one one at home. So it's that mental battle that we go through, how we do, to make sure we understand how to secure three points away. 
and, and it's that mentality. A lot of that is mentality. A lot of that is the reactions. When we lose the ball, the transition moments, being switched on in every little moment of the game, the restarts, the free kicks. We saw what happened in Philadelphia. We switch off for six minutes and then the game was over almost. So um, it, it's understanding that, that the reactions, the mentality, the concentration, the focus has to be there in every action. Uh, that's players' mentality. Here's Pineda talking about how the bench depth can change games. That's very important. I think that's very important um, because, again, I was talking about Derek or Edwin before. I mean, we lost a little bit matchup and, and Tyler a little bit there, but now we also have Jamal, we have Miguel. Uh, we know Purata can be in started, but at any moment, Ronald can play on both sides, left back, right back. Um, you know, we have Amar, we have a Jani. Uh, we have a lot of pieces there, Santi. We have a lot of pieces there that at any moment can come and not just play the role, but actually improve the role and, and be a, a true game changer. So blessed with that uh, opportunity to have in this part of the year uh, a good roster and to have options from the bench to change change uh, uh, the, the outcome of, of the games. And he was asked by Sam. It was good to see Sam today. Talking about uh, when the team loses control, whose job is it to kind of get control back? We look very bad when we lose control of the game. We look very bad. And, and that's, that's the thing. Um, I think when we are on the ball, we're in possession. Normally, we have control. The thing is, when, at times when we are not in possession of the ball and we are not well organized and we start just individual efforts on trying to press at the wrong time, not cohesive, not organized, we look pretty bad. And we need to solve that one. We, we, we need to work on that. Sadly, we didn't have big parts of the lineup uh, in, in the last couple of days. But uh, Tuesday, we'll start to work on some of those and how we can be more solid defensively in those moments where when the opponent has the ball, we are just in a good block. We are tough to beat, tough to pass. I think if we solve that little thing, again, attacking-wise, we're pretty good. So, um, yeah, the control for us is very important on and off the ball. Whose job is that on the field to tell the guys, nope, don't do that, let's get, let's. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's on all of us. Number one, my job and my responsibility is to give them the organization. They know the shape, they know the structure, they know the triggers, they know when to press, when to organize, when to come back to the 4-1-4-1, 4-5-1, 4-3-3 shape, depends on the opponent. Um, and, and, and then it's again, the leadership command that we always talk about, right? Uh, goalkeepers, center back, center meets, and. 10 at times, you know, but how the guys in the middle on the back see everything so they can organize everyone uh, one line ahead. So we try to work on that. At times doesn't happen because the game is fluid and all that. But again, those are the little things we need to fix before playoffs. Mateus, who's that who spoke with us today? Uh, this will be Thursday. And he's also talking about how to regain control of a match. And I went yeah, I think, um, you know, in the middle of the field, we're, we're all talking, um, talking with Thiago and Tristan, uh, just not to panic because, um, you know, we've played good teams like Columbus and, and Cincinnati, um, so they, they make it difficult. But, um, yeah, just trying to, to remain composed uh, in those moments. And Jason asked Zetu about how he decides when to push the pace in games and try to get Atlanta United's attack going. Uh, I'm looking at the body language of the, the forwards and um, sometimes when we recover the ball, if I think that they're they're tired, then maybe I know 
we have to wait 20, 30 seconds to, um, to recover. So just communicating with them and, and talking to Saba and Shande and, and our attacking players to, to know what we need. And here's Suzetu talking about playing with Muyumba. Yeah, just playing more as a six, but with Tristan, I have really good communication, um, always both on and off the field. Um, so sometimes in a game when, um, you know, I just get the ball and I pass it to him or same thing, uh, try to find Tiago. Um, but yeah, we, we have good communication. We were able to speak with Tristan on Tuesday and here he is talking about his ability to switch between playing as a central midfielder uh, or an attacking midfielder or even a defensive midfielder when he's with Huzatu? No, it's not really different. So uh, I can play on on six, on eight. So in my formation or in French, I, I play uh, this both uh, position. So now I play with uh, uh, with Mati uh, more than six and me more than eight. But uh, sometimes we uh, on the game we can we can change and. Uh, we just need to to keep the, the the balance for the team. So sometimes I, I can be on six position and change on eight position. So it's just about the the balance and absolutely. Uh, I'm sometimes I am more more free than than Mati, but uh, it's just about the the balance. Yeah. Tristan said the team learned some things since the last time they faced Cincinnati. Uh, yeah, we, we know Cincinnati is a very good team. They, they are first in, in the league, so we, we we have to 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 be ready for for the, the next week because uh, the playoffs start. So that's a very good test uh, for for him and for for the confidence uh, of the of the team. And knowing the team has already qualified for the playoffs, I was curious if there was any pressure on Atlanta United this weekend. Yeah, for, absolutely. We, we we have to. We want to to win to, for finish maybe five or mm-hmm. on the top. And but not really pressure. We just need to 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 get confidence mm-hmm. to for for the team for for the for the playoffs. So so not really pressure. It's just uh, it's just about uh, confidence for for the next uh, next weeks. Yeah. Jay Fortune, we spoke with him on Tuesday. He's got a lot more playing time in the second half of the season. He started a game. He's come on as a reserve in place of uh, Muyamba a couple of times and may be the heir apparent to Huzetu in central midfield going into the next season because Huzetu is out of contract. He said there has not been any contract talks, but he would like to stay here. I don't know if Atlanta United would be willing to bring him back at his current salary. We're going to get into some of that in the mailback later. But here's Jay talking about he and Tristan are kind of teaching each other. It's just about trying to get better for me, you know. Um, I think always questioning about positioning because, you know, he's come in and he's had a really good start ever since he's joined. And what he's doing is working. So for me, it's just trying to learn the things that he's doing to try and add to my game so that I can I can try and be better as well. And on the flip side, I mean, I have a lot to teach him. Um, so I think I've been teaching him a lot ever since he came here. And I think he'll, he'll agree with that as well. And here's Fortune on... What he's been doing in training that's allowed him to play more? Uh, I think for me, one of the biggest things is just trying to be consistent um, and, and keeping the work rate up. Uh, I know that uh, on the ball, I could be someone who is helps us progress it forward and keep it and stuff like that. So it's just important to try and do it as much as possible in training. And then from there, just trying to keep the work rate high and, and being consistent is the biggest thing for me. And one of the things that Pineda has talked about is he likes that Fortune is not afraid to have the ball. So I was curious 
about his skill level at that. And he starts talking about how he gets out of trouble. Yeah, I think for me, um, the biggest thing is timing, uh-huh. um, knowing when it's time to play quickly and when it's time to try and dribble out of situations. And I think I've gotten a little bit better with that, a little more confidence as the year has gone on. And I mean, I think with the way we play, there's always different options that you can look for when you're on the ball. And I think once I was able to understand the, the system well and understand where I'm expecting to find people, it's very easy to want to get on the ball because, you know, there's options to help out. And then also you have the ability to dribble out as well. All right, next up, we have Jason Longshore. You know him. Many of you know him. He's the radio analyst for Atlanta United on 92.9 FM. He broadcasts tons of different important high school soccer matches and college soccer matches. And he and Sandy of Atlanta United are about to launch a podcast next week about the history of the sport in the state. And here's Jason talking about the podcast and some surprises you might hear uh, when you subscribe to that. I hope you enjoy. So I have a special guest, but I need to know, do you want to do this between two fern style or regular style? We can do this whatever style we want. <laughs> so between two fern style, it's Jason Longshoe is here. <laughs> you probably know him as Jason Longshore, radio analyst for Atlanta United and the voice of many a college and high school soccer game. Yeah, long shoe, like that's flashing <laughs> me back to uh, my high school days of uh, playing at Eagles Landing where one of my teammates just could not pronounce my name properly, kept leaving the R out and long shoe stuck. And that's my handle everywhere you find me on social media now. So we have Jason on the show this week to promote something that he and Sandy with Atlanta United have been working on for quite a long time. Uh, the history of soccer in Georgia and Atlanta. Um, I think the first question everyone wants to know is, Are you, did you chronicle my goal for Pebble Brook? scored back in 1988 we couldn't find any footage of that and we couldn't find any reporting to actually verify that it happened so we had to leave that one on the cutting room floor it was a beautiful piece of craftsmanship i spun got the ball on my right foot spun to my left left foot is shot into the corner it it was arguably the greatest goal scored in the history of soccer but we're not going to talk about that jason talk to us about the inspiration for this idea how long y'all been working on it when the series comes out all the stuff that people want to know Yeah, it's crazy. Sandy had come to me, I want to say late last year with the idea to do something about it. And I had been kind of off and on. I'd have to go back and look at when I actually created the Google document. Um, I want to say 2015. It might have been 2016. Uh, I had been off and on researching different aspects of, of Atlanta soccer history, whether it was the the story of the Chiefs, um, the first version of the Chiefs, the second version, the Georgia Generals was something that I'd always heard about, but I was five when they played in 1982, and I hadn't discovered soccer at that point. I actually watched the Georgia Generals match yeah. a couple of times. Yep. <laughs> yeah, over at DeKalb Memorial. Um, some of those stories are legendary. So many stories about the Chiefs that either have been told or haven't been told in a long time or have never been told. Um So it was something that I had been working on. Sandy came to me with it and I said, well, I've got this Google document that I can send you. Uh, Don't be afraid of it, but (laughs) here you go. And it was, I think at that time, about 170 pages of different articles that I had went through searches and found in the old Atlanta Journal, Atlanta Constitution archives, other things that I discovered. And that kind of set us off on a path to figure out how we wanted to tell the story. And 
honestly, as we've really dug into recording the podcast and doing interviews, the way we've structured it has kind of evolved as well. Um, I'm really excited about it because it's something that, you know, both of us have lived at different points in, in soccer in Atlanta, but there's so much that happened before either one of us got involved and so many different aspects of the story that are important and affect what you see today and what you'll see in the future with a World Cup coming and so many other things. So what's it called? And because I'm hip, when does it drop? <laughs> the history of Atlanta soccer podcast. It's presented by Piedmont. It will start next Wednesday. Uh, you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm excited about it because it's going to be weekly through mid-December or so, and then pick up again with the history, and and we're going to go deep on this, the history of Atlanta United, and we're going to launch that part of it early next year, right around the time that Atlanta United starts their training camp. So this will take you from... I remember right, roughly around 1908 through present day, you know, over a span of, of weeks and 10 to 12, maybe more episodes. And give us a tease to something you learned that surprised you the most. Wow. There's so many different things. Um, it, it's, it's crazy for me. Like, I think what surprised me is looking back at some of the time frame where I was actually involved in in terms of the Atlanta ruckus when I worked for the ruckus in 97 and 98 when I was in college at UGA uh looking back at those times like I remember how it happened I remember what it was like from my perspective but then reading some of the articles from Wendy Parker at the Atlanta Journal Constitution and uh, Jen Hildreth wrote articles around this time, which I did not know yeah, that that was yeah. wild to see those those bylines pop up. Um, but seeing things that I remembered from my experience one way and then remembering, wait a minute, it happened in this order and this went down first and the owner defaulted on the team at this stage, not this point, And it was crazy. So looking back at that and and just kind of reliving it to a degree has been a pretty wild ride as we've dug into all of this. And so then you can work on the oral history of my goal. Um, <laughs> it'll be a 10 part podcast series. See if we can find the beta map. <laughs> and tell everybody again, how they can find you on social media. Yeah. Long shoot on social media. And we'll be sharing a lot um, of, of kind of some outtakes, some different things about this uh, as it starts to drop next week, but long shoe, wherever you are on your social media platforms. All right. Y'all make sure you subscribe to that podcast. It's gonna be a lot of fun to listen to. I'm looking forward to it and make sure you follow Jason and, and all the guys at Atlanta United and everybody who covers Atlanta United. Um, a lot of people spend a lot of time on their coverage, some of which is because they love the sport. They don't get paid for it. So make sure you're following Dirty South Soccer, Five Takes on Five Stripes, Scarves and Spikes, all those, all those different guys. When we come back, we're going to get into the mailbag. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs. And I'm Ned Ravone. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash 
unapologetically ATL. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, our politics, our breaking news, our investigations, our food and dining, and so much more on AJC.com. Plus, you can get access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. And I was kind of laughing at myself as I was reading that because as some of you know, I was in Philadelphia last weekend as part of our uh, the AJC's coverage of the Braves against the Phillies in the National League Division Series. And one day, Gabe Burns, Justin Toscano, and Jay Black and I were riding to Citizens Bank Park. And Jay had said something. He missed something that was in the paper. And so I started rattling off the what we call out-of-second-break promo about getting unlimited coverage at subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast for just 99 cents. Well, the series wasn't fun if you're a Braves fan. It was a lot of fun to kind of get to work with some of my teammates again. We don't get to do that too often. Me covering Atlanta United is mostly a lone wolf kind of a beat. So it was good to be around those guys, be around Cody, who's on the board with us today. He was up there helping the AJC shoot video along with Sarah. Uh, We had quite a few people up there. It was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed our coverage, even if the results weren't what you hoped. Uh, And now we've got several other big things coming up um, with several sports. The Falcons, the Bulldogs, Georgia Tech's going for bowl eligibility. Georgia State's going for bowl eligibility. The Hawks are starting. A lot of important things come up. We could have some important international soccer tournaments coming to Atlanta that I hope to have some reporting on soon. That should be very, very exciting. And, you know, kind of off the beaten path, I'm going to go up to Rome next week to talk to some guys from Georgia and coaches from Georgia who are on the U.S. soccer's uh CP team that's going to be competing in the Pan Am games upcoming. So I hope you'll look for that next week. It's always fun to do those kind of stories. Rome's a beautiful place, as most of you know, but look for that. And if you want to follow the U.S. extended teams on Twitter, you can. It's just, I think it's USSF extended, underscore extended, something like that. They do a lot of good work, a lot of good competitors. They do it for the love of the game. Uh, It's just, it's inspiring. All right, we didn't get any uh, questions for the mailbag, but that's 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. Simply go into your phone, look at what is your most dialed number, erase that, and put this in so you'll always have it at the top of your phone, and you can dial, call in your questions about Atlanta United when you're on the MARTA train, when you're waiting on your airplane to get going, if you're waiting on dinner. If you're at the world's nastiest Mexican restaurant, which I was at on Sunday, uh, coming back from a hike to Preacher's Rock, you can call in and ask questions about Atlanta United. On to the traditional mailbag. First, Michael says, hey, Doug. Well, hi, Michael. Coffee sip. Playoffs, here we come, he says. We, he's speaking like a fan of Atlanta United. We don't know our final MLS regular season standing, but we do know that we didn't hit the club's goal of finishing fourth and getting that valuable home turf advantage. That is true. With this shortcoming in mind, do you anticipate any front off staff front office staffing changes? I hope to have you some answers about that on Saturday. Do I think Pineda's job is on the line as of now? I don't. 
If the answer depends upon we'll see how we do in the playoffs, how far would United need to go to keep Pineda safe? Or do you think they've done well enough this year that he is definitely safe? I do think he is definitely safe. Um, I think that you got a much better idea of what Pineda can do when he has players that kind of fit his system. And that's going to be our mailbag question of the week, something along those lines um, a little bit later than what he had before. And it was an impactful summer window for Atlanta United. I think it'll be an impactful winter window. And then next year will be the true test for Gonzalo Pineda and Vice President Carlos Bocanegra, for that matter. Blank wants to win. He wants to win now. He's already got one MLS Cup. He wants a second. And we'll see what happens. Michael continues, just to be clear, I am not suggesting that Pineda or anyone, anyone else should go. I am asking because when fans and journalists were pondering Pineda's coaching abilities over the course of the season, the whole, quote, our goal is to finish fourth, unquote, notion was used as a bit of a buffer. No, you're right to bring it up. I mean, it was the stated goal. I asked Gonzalo about that after the draw with Columbus, in which Atlanta United was really outplayed throughout most of that game, if them not making fourth uh, was a failure. And he didn't say it was a failure, but he said it was a goal. And now we'll just have to see how they do in the playoffs. But I still think Pineda is going to be safe. But it's a good question. Second, Michael says, I am sure you've gotten this question already. But all questions should always be asked, even if you think someone else has asked it. Do we know what the schedule will look like for the home playoff game? Surely the MLS will not have round one take three weeks and potentially have three straight Saturday matchups. Are they going to give us games Saturday, Wednesday, and then Saturday to advance to the next round? No. It, it looks like it's going to be, and this is, I don't know why MLS does this, and it's different than what they had posted on their website before. Um, possible Monday, Sunday, Sunday kind of a thing. Um, it doesn't make any sense to me when Apple has worked so hard to have all these games on Saturdays. But the windows that I was given today, and again, these could change, were October 29th through November 1st for game one and November 5th through 8th for game two and don't know game three yet, but the schedule is supposed to be announced on Sunday. We will see. Chris says, how much longer will Ezekiel Barco be on the team's payroll when a player is on loan? How does that affect the team's salary cap? So yesterday, uh, the major league soccer players association released its payroll or its salary figures. They do this twice a year. Uh, once in May and once in October. The one in October is through like the end of September. The one in September is annualized. So some of the salaries that you saw in my story that posted yesterday aren't true salaries because they are taking the salary that was agreed to between the player and the team for the final six months, let's say a million dollars, and then taking that per day dollar and extrapolating it out over 365 days. So in some cases, the salaries are more than doubled for some of the summer signings. Uh, but Barco will drop off January 1st, 2024. And when a player goes on loan, a lot of times it just depends upon the loan agreement uh, between the team that's loaning the player and the team that's picking up the player. Usually the team that's picking up the player will pay uh, the salary and the other team is still stuck uh, for the transfer fee as an amortized figure against its salary cap. 
Chris continues, when will Caleb Wiley have the ability to negotiate for a higher salary? He certainly deserves more. Well, in that story that I posted yesterday, all the information is there, guys, including Barco's when he drops off. Uh, Wiley currently has a salary of $87,000 and $87,044. His contract is through 2026. Typically, though, with homegrowns, there's two option years at the end. So 2025 would be an option year. 2026 would be an option year. So if Caleb Wiley is still on Atlanta United's roster going into next season, that's after the winter window, I think they'll probably work on a contract extension then um, because he'll be in the last year of the guaranteed deal and then his option years. But that would be my guess. I also would not at all be surprised to see Wiley get sold in the winter window. I think he's a a heck of a talent, a lot of potential, and I wouldn't be stunned to see him go somewhere, but it's got to be the right situation. He doesn't want to have what happened to – to George Bellow, who went to a what was then a Bundesliga team in Germany, and then they got relegated once, then it got relegated again, and now he's with uh, LASK Lask in uh, Austria. But he's getting playing time, which is good for George. Now on to our question of the week, and this is from Nick, who always asks good questions, and it's kind of a personal question because many of you know how I feel about the two parties involved. Who do I think is more overrated, Michael Bradley or Pep Guardiola? Thank you, as always, for your coverage. So let's go into some context for these two things. Uh, It was announced on Tuesday or Wednesday that Michael Bradley was retiring from Toronto, retiring from professional soccer after a, a, a very solid career. Started off in Major League Soccer. Uh, then he went to Holland, where he performed very, very well. Then he went to Germany. Then he went to Italy. He got loaned, I think, while he was in Italy to Aston Villa and never played for Aston Villa, uh, was brought back to Italy and played some more and then came back in 2014, I believe it was, to play for Toronto. Yep, 2014. Helped them win one MLS Cup, one Supporter Shield, uh, a few Canadian titles, but you know, I don't really hold those up as, as a fantastic example. Uh, Pep Guardiola. Manages Manchester City, took them to the treble or quadruple last year of English football, uh, which includes winning the Champions League. Fantastic accomplishment. As I've said many, many times on this podcast and many, many times to to others, I think Pep Guardiola is a, a fantastic manager. I don't think he is the world's greatest manager because he's never had to do it with a roster that was on a budget. He could simply buy the best players in the world And any coach should look good when they have the best players in the world. It's like I've said this on the podcast before. An American football coach is only as good as his quarterback, as Bill Belichick has learned and others. Pep Guardiola has the best players at every position, national team players, first team starting national team players at every position. If his tactics are truly that brilliant, do it at Everton. Do it at Crystal Palace. Do it at a team on a budget. And then I'll be impressed. So I don't like the hero worship. I don't like the hero worship with anything. But Pep Guardiola, great coach. Yes, greatest coach. If he can do it with a team on a budget and they're still winning, they don't have to win everything, but they still play much, much better than they were, getting much better results than they were, then I'll truly be impressed. Michael Bradley. Michael Bradley's a complicated one for me. I loved Michael Bradley, his first go-round in Major League Soccer. 
I loved him when he was in Holland. He was an aggressive, attacking player. Get up and down the field. Fun to watch. And then around 2014, uh, after Brazil, or during the, the, I think it was a World Cup in Brazil, it became just almost a caricature to me. It, it was to me. It was almost like everyone kept saying he's like the American Michael Pirlo or Andrea Pirlo, the American Andrea. But he's he's not as good as Pirlo. But he kind of became this guy who didn't really sprint anymore. Just kind of jogged around, super safe passes all the time. Never got forward. Never really made any tackles. Got a lot of recoveries. But to me, that's the result of your teammates work making the tackles and making the pressures and you're just getting the loose ball. When he would go to play defense, he'd always run to somebody and kind of stomp his right foot, but would never go in and make a tackle. And it just became a guy that I just, I, I didn't understand the value. And part of that is a blind spot I have for not really understanding the value of, of sixes on the field as much as, as other soccer supporters. Um, you look at his stats, uh, and it was posted yesterday. He's made more in salary than any other player in Major League Soccer history, $41 million. You got one MLS Cup, one Supporter Shield, it's like 17 goals and 25 assists in 10 seasons. 10 seasons for 40, 40 something, $41 million. That's crazy to me. Um, and you know, and when he was with the national team after 2014 and the national team started to struggle and I would point out Bradley didn't play well and I would get shouted down by everyone who would make excuse after excuse. Bradley needs this player beside him and he needs this player beside him and he needs this type of player and this type of player. After a while, I was like, if one player needs all of these other skill sets around him, then maybe he's part of the problem. If he doesn't make tackles, if he doesn't split lines with passes, if he doesn't get the ball down the field, and keep in mind you're playing in a league that honors a secondary assist, then maybe they need to be a little bit more aggressive. So for his career, Michael Bradley finished with 45 goals and 40 assists. 15 of those goals came with one season uh, in Holland at uh, Herneveen, Herneveen. The rest of the time, he never scored more than five goals in a season, never had more than five assists in a season with any team. And again, he's playing in a league the majority of his career that honors a secondary assist. And for two years, he played on one of the top scoring teams in the world. In Major League Soccer, overall standings, Toronto finished 13th, 12th, 5th, 1st, 19th, 9th, 2nd, 26th, 27th, 29th, $40 million. Was he a a solid player for the U.S. men's national team? He surely was. Would I put him in my top 10 players for the U.S. men's national team ever? No, I would not. Um, I'm sure he's a good guy. I think he's going to be a fantastic coach. Um, But I just don't rate him as highly as others. And as always, my opinion matters not one whit. But you asked, so I answered. I want to remind you to please tell your friends about our show. Please give us a rating and a review on Spotify and Apple. That's what helps us grow the podcast. As always, hug your loved ones. Communicate with your loved ones. Thanks for listening to Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Y'all take care.